amen and amen. So Matthew chapter number five, beginning in verse number 10 is where we're going to be at tonight. Praise God, we've made it all the way down to verse number 10. This is in the Beatitude section of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is one of Jesus' longer sermons, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We're going to pick it up in verse number 10. The Lord says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So we're going to get into these three verses. They, they pretty much all go together. And what we're looking at tonight is the persecution of the saints of God. Now, persecution comes in many levels and to varying degrees. And as we get into that, we're going to touch on a few different of those degrees. But let's first look at the blessed part. I can't not say this because I want you to see beyond a shadow of a doubt, the Lord said that you can be blessed and he's not tying physical, materialistic things to it. Okay? So it is a blessing to have materialistic things, but you can be blessed without them. God's blessing supersedes the materialistic world. God's blessing is available for the orphan in Africa, come on, and for the millionaire in America. God's blessing, it does not require you to be at a certain financial status, doesn't require you to be at a health status. Didn't say if you're healthy, you're blessed, did it? You can be blessed coming in and blessed going out no matter what your materialistic place in life is. And I'm not saying that material things aren't blessings. They are. But you don't have to have them to be blessed. Come on now. And so I want you to get that. We've, we've seen all these different ones. It's called the Beatitudes, so we're ending it tonight, well, Lord willing. But I want you to see that it, this, these blessings, he did not, the Lord Jesus did not connect one materialistic thing to any of these blessed verses, which is completely opposite of what you see and hear and read today. It's all about you're blessed when you get a new car, you're blessed when you get a new house, you're blessed when you get this, you're blessed when you get that, but you don't see that coming from the Lord. I'm not saying you're not, but I'm just saying that there is other ways to be blessed. Are you with me? So in verse number 10, we're going to go ahead and, and, and get into this. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you, persecute you, listen to this, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely key falsely for my sake so as we get into this i want you to see that a lot of this persecution is not because you're just being weird it's because when you stand for christ 
that's when the persecution that he's talking about is attached to a blessing will come your way. It is not whenever you run a red light, you feel like you're persecuted because the cop stopped you. You're not being persecuted. You're being held to the standard of the law. But when you stand up for the name of Jesus Christ and will not compromise and will not bow your knee to bail, then you will have God's blessing on your life. You will be blessed. Yours will be the kingdom of heaven. Now, the kingdom of heaven is an amazing thing. A kingdom of heaven is an inheritance that's going to come down here on this earth. The kingdom of God, according to Jesus in Luke uh, chapter 17, he said the kingdom of God is within you. Did he not? He said the kingdom of God is within you. It's a spiritual thing. The kingdom of heaven is when he establishes his kingdom here on this earth. When heaven comes down to this place, you will rule and reign with Christ when you suffer with Christ here. If you are willing to suffer with him now, you will reign with him in glory. When heaven comes down to this earth, you will be one of those chosen that rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that day's coming. This is what we call the millennial reign of Christ. Heaven will come down to this earth. He will establish righteous judgment on this earth. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That day's coming. Amen? And so we are excited about that. But between now and then, if you stand up for Jesus, you're going to get persecuted. Now, the, like I said earlier, the persecution comes in many different uh, levels in many different ways. And one of the things that I wanted to point out is whenever you stand up for Jesus. Now, what do we mean by stand up for Jesus? It means when you live a life according to his word. When you don't shrink back from being who you're called to be. This is one of the problems with the, not only the men, but all of us, but main, a lot of the men in America today, we um, are effeminate. You know what I mean? The Bible calls that effeminate is one of those wicked things that is described in 1 Corinthians 6. Effeminism is not when you act like a lady like you think. It means when you shrink back from being the man of God that you're supposed to be. It means instead of putting your toes on the line and standing for what you're supposed to stand for, you step backwards and you hide in the bushes while everybody else gets the rocks thrown at them. And so this effeminism, this is a, a shrinking back from the call of duty. This is deserting your brethren on the front lines. Derelict of duty. This is allowing others to take the brunt and you not speaking up for them. This is what we're called to do. One of the things, if you, if you live a life according to the word of God, you will stand out like a sore thumb. In one message, I still haven't had the liberty to preach it here yet, but I, I did at another church. It was called the secret agent Christian or the double agent Christian. I said, God never called you to be a double agent. You're not 007. You're not, you're not one person at home and another person at church. You're supposed to be the same person no matter where you're at, whether you're at City Hall, amen, or whether you're at church or whether you're in your living room, whether you're in your basement, wherever you are, you're supposed to still be the child of God with the light of God shining through you, amen. 
But when we act one way at work and another way at home, we are secret agent Christians. And what that means is we are derelict in our duty. If you are a child of God, you have the light of God in you. Amen? And the, we're supposed to let our little light shine. Come on, didn't you go to Sunday school? We're supposed to let our little light shine. And when you shrink back from being who God's called you to be, we, listen, when you laugh at the jokes you're not supposed to laugh at, when you listen to the stuff you're not supposed to listen to, when you talk the way you're not supposed to talk, when you do, look, those are things that will impede the witness of your walk. They will impede the witness of your walk. They, in fact, what it does is it, it, it will cancel out what you say with your mouth. Because if you say you're all that, but then you do all that, it will cancel out what you say. Your walk and your talk won't be equal. And God has called us to walk and talk the same way, whether we're at home, work, or on the playground, or wherever we are, God has called us to live the same godly life no matter where we're at. Amen? And, and so it doesn't mean that you have to walk around telling everybody you're a Christian. I had a, one of my mentors one time, he said, you know, you shouldn't have to wear a T-shirt to tell everybody you're a Christian. He said, you, should, you, you shouldn't have to do that. Now, it's not wrong to do it, but he said, you shouldn't have to. They should know who you are by the fruit of your life. Amen. Amen. What a shame would it be for someone to know us for years and years and years and not know that we love Jesus? Do your neighbors know that you love Jesus? Do our family know that we love Jesus? Do our children know? You know what I'm saying? And one of the sad things that we see in, in our nation is we have men and women who are derelict in that duty that God's called us to, which is to, to live a life unto him, unto him, okay? Now, this is part of what we call the crucified life. And you will never find the depth of the life that God wants you to have until you walk it out, until you find your place at the cross, till you come to the end of yourself. You, you, as long as you live for yourself, you will try to save your own hide. But if you have laid down who you are at the cross and you can say with Paul, I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives within me. If you can say like he said, then it won't matter who says, does, or thinks anything about you. Now, in America, most of our persecution comes through the thoughts. We don't want somebody to think we're weird. We don't want somebody to think we're going to church. We don't want somebody to think that we read our Bible. We don't, in fact, you see somebody praying prayers when they're out at a restaurant. You can't tell if they got a headache or they're praying. Because they don't even want anybody in the restaurant to think they're praying to Jesus. Amen. Don't be doing no headache prayer. Bow your head and say his name and don't be ashamed. Amen. Bow your head, say his name, and don't say it with shame. And, and one of the things that we see in our nation is we see our nation falling. Peg by peg by peg, in morals, in standards, in every which way you can measure it, our nation is falling, and a lot of it lies square at our feet because we are not allowing the light of Jesus Christ to shine. In fact, we are 
all too often double agent Christians. And this is one of those things that we've got to settle because now is the hour when the light needs to shine. You know how dark the world is getting? And until the church, until the church operates and walks like it's supposed to in the anointing and the power of God with the light of God shining through it, it's just going to continue to get darker. Amen. The only hope that anybody has out there is you sharing the gospel with them. The only hope they have. You know what? They can't find hope on TV. You know where alcohol is going to lead them. You know that they're not, it's whenever they, if they get, if they strike it rich, you know that's not going to help them out. You've got the only hope that they need. You've got it. Amen. And we treat it like a curse rather than the cure. We treat it like the curse, not allowing anyone to see it, know it, instead of the cure for the world's ails. And, and until we change that course, we're going to continue in the path we're on. But we, as believers, have to make a determination beforehand that even if it costs our life, we will put our toes on the line for Christ. N irregardless of what our reputation is. Look, if you can't get past people mocking you, making fun of you, if you can't get past that, you got a long ways to go. You've got to lay your ego down. Your ego has to be crucified at the cross. Your reputation has to be crucified at the cross. So what will people think about you? So what? It is more important than our ego and our reputation. I don't want to stand before the Lord one day. And him say, well, you held on to your ego, but you lost your integrity. And that's where a lot of us find ourselves. That's where a lot of, a, a, a lot of Christians, especially in America, I'm not going to say only or solely in America, but a lot of us do. Now, other nations are experiencing persecution in different levels than we are because we have been blessed in America. Our rights, our protections, our privileges come from God. Amen. But if God doesn't have mercy on our nation, we're going to see those eroded as well. You can look at other nations and see the persecution on the rise. You can look at nations like um, in, in Africa, like Kenya or somewhere like that. You can look at places in the Middle East like Iraq or Iran or Syria. But you can even look in England where you have ministers being arrested for preaching the gospel on the streets of London. Why would they do that? Because it offended somebody. And, and the guy that they arrested, all he was doing was quoting scripture. He wasn't even giving commentary on it. He was quoting it. And because he dared to quote what was in this book, they arrested him. And it happened in England, happened in Australia, it happened in Canada. And if we don't write the ship, it will happen here. It will happen here. And, um, and that, that kind of stuff is coming. One of the things, um, you, oh, listen to this, Iraq. This is, I want you to hear this about Iraq. I, I mentioned them. In 2003, they had 1.5 million Christians. 1.5 million. Current estimates are around 200,000. Yeah, where do you think they went? 
one of the one of the sad realities is we have uh, we 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 have in our nation uh, places where people facing religious persecution can come into the nation. One of the sad realities, though, is that Christian refugees are at the bottom of the list. So these Iraqi Christians are either martyred or somewhere else. North Korea is one of the worst um, offenders of this that on record. North Korea will torture Christians. China will torture Christians. Places in Africa will torture Christians for no reason other than being a Christian. Amen? And where we find ourselves is doing the headache prayer at a restaurant. That's our persecution. That's our, we sweat it out because somebody looked at us while we was praying. And these people, I I love reading these stories of of these people, uh, persecuted Christians. You can get... Uh, you know, a lot of magazines like that. But one of them, you know, they, they'll have stories where they have a five-mile walk to church and people will stop them and say, if you go to this church, we're going to kill you. And they go anyways. And they die because they weren't going to allow somebody to keep them back from church. You know what we would do in America? We would just watch it online. But they were willing to stand up for Christ because they knew they knew that that was unrighteous. And one of the sad realities, I don't know if you remember this, but over, um, over in the Middle East, they had um, some Coptic Christians in Egypt that were all decapitated on the seashore a few years ago. You remember that? They lined up, I think, 10 or 12 of them. And I remember reading this. Um, two of them, two of them were brothers. I don't know if you knew that. Two of them were brothers that they caught. And the third brother got away and went home, told the mom. Mom raised them to be Christians. Went home, told the mom. and said, Mom, what are you going to do if they come here to get us? She said, I'm going to cook them a meal. Knowing that they just killed her two sons and her other son came and told her, what are you going to do if they come here? She said, I'm going to cook them a meal. In Jesus' name. That's faith. That's faith. That's being counted for the cause. And I want to show you something. If you'll turn in your book, in your Bible to Matthew chapter 10, just go a few, a few pages over. Something that the Lord said here in verse number 32. You ready? In verse number 32, he said, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. Now that should strike a chord in every person's walk. No matter how on fire you are, that should light a fire in you. No matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, that should do something in us. Because how sad would it be for the Lord to deny us if we denied him? You say, Lord, didn't I do many miracles in your name? And I gave to the church every Sunday and I attended service every week. And and he said, but you denied me before men. And I will deny you before the Father. That's harsh. That's harsh. And that's, that's how important 
that's how important it is for us to have integrity in our witness. Okay? Integrity in our witness means that you're not throwing a lampshade over the light that God's put in you, but you're allowing the fire that God's put in you, you're allowing that light to shine. This is one of the things I always say about us, you know, in our kind of Pentecostal or spirit-filled kind of churches. See, you know, it's great to shout, jump, swing from the chandeliers if you got to, but look, you need to be walking in victory out there too. It's great to shout it out inside the church, but we need to be walking in victory outside the church too. Amen? We need to be, we need to be singing glory to the king out there as well as in here. And, and one of the things that we've got to get to is this point where we keep scriptures like this in mind. And whenever someone's being uh, persecuted or martyred, one of the first things that, for example, um, a Muslim will do is get them to deny Christ. It's one of the first things they will do. But look, it's not just them. It didn't start with just them. This persecution has started since the foundation of the church, even before the church, even under Moses, and even before that, you look all the way back to Joseph. Joseph was a righteous man. Joseph had integrity. He had the character of God. He had the anointing of God on him. Amen. He had some depth to his walk, and yet his brothers decided they wanted to kill him. Why? Because he was righteous. Look, if you don't get that, you're not going to get this. Look at the, let me show you. Go over to Genesis chapter number 37. Let me show you. Genesis 37. We're going to go all the way back to the first book. Now, Joseph is a lot of, in a good, a good Bible study, uh, would be looking at Joseph's life because there's a lot of prophetic significance to the life of Joseph, his life and the life of Christ. They marry up so uh, beautifully. One of the things I want you to see, though, look at verse number 18, Genesis 37, verse number 18. Now, Joseph was, was a godly guy. He had righteous, he was righteous. He had a call on his life. Amen. God gave him a vision. God gave him a dream. He had a righteous call. And we know his walk because even when he was given an opportunity, he, he turned the other way because he wasn't going to sin against God. Amen? Even if nobody else found out about it. He had integrity in his walk. So this is a righteous guy. And he's going out to try to find his brothers for his father. Now look at verse number 18. Now this is his brother's. When they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. They said to one another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, let us slay him, cast him into some pit, and we will say some evil beast has devoured him. And listen to this. And we shall see what will become of his dreams. You hear the mocking of the devil in that? Oh yeah, let's see you. Let's see you shout for glory now. Let's see you prophesy now. Didn't they tell? Didn't they tell Jesus that? Tell us who hit you. You see that the the devil will always mock like that. They blindfolded, spit on, pulled out his beard, and struck the Lord Jesus in his face. 
and said, come on, prophesy, who did it? It's the same thing, same thing. And Joseph experienced the same thing here. He wasn't doing anything to them. He was walking in the integrity of the light that God gave him. He was not hiding it. He wasn't derelict in his duty. He was being who God made him to be. And it offended wicked folks. And if you aren't offending somebody, there might be a leak in your walk. Possibly. You, you might have a leak somewhere if you're not making nobody mad. Because Joseph didn't do anything to them, and they were mad at him. Folks, look, the, the devil should be uncomfortable when a Christian comes around. You should be rattling demons. Come on now. Let's get real. They should be uncomfortable around us instead of us being uncomfortable around them. When are we going to find out that the darkness hates the light? It shouldn't be the other way around. The darkness flees when the light comes in the room. And, and one of the things that we see about Joseph's life is here he is just bebopping about his way in his righteous self, and you see the enemy conspire against him for no reason. That should tell you right there that if you are living a godly Christian life, people will probably seek to do you harm for no reason of your own. It's not because of you. It's because of who's in you if God's in you. If you're letting your light shine, the devil doesn't like what's in you, okay? So you can't, look, one of the things you got to know, I told you about Galatians 2.20, the crucified life. One of the things is, once you're, you have a crucified life, guess what? And this is hard, because every time I preach on this, things happen. <laughs> but you don't have the right to get offended no more. Amen. You lose it at the cross. You can't say, well, that, I just, that offends me. You looked at me the wrong way. Look, you're supposed to get over you. You're supposed to be crucified with Christ and not living for yourself but him in you. Every breath we live, everything that we do should be in dedication and consecration to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we're not doing that, that's when we get offended because we're no longer living that crucified life. That's when we get upset. That's when we get mad. That's when we got to, I, I know I shouldn't say this, but I just got to say it. I can't stand you. Da, 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 da. You're just going to talk about me the last time. All this kind of stuff, it comes from being offended. And if we're living a crucified life, we don't have that right no more. So one of the things that you see is whenever, whenever a righteous person is being persecuted in the Bible, they don't get offended. Because they realize it's not about them, it's about the God in them. So anytime anybody's getting persecuted, for Christ's sake, it's not personal, it's spiritual. It's spiritual. Come on now. I told you earlier that what they want to do is get you to deny Christ, and, and even we see this in, in, in Islam today, one of their number one things is putting a knife to somebody's throat or your family's throat and tell you to deny Christ. Tell you to deny Christ. This didn't start with Islam, though. Islam is not the, the oldest religion around. Islam is relatively new. 
But one of the things that you see, though, is even in the early church, the same thing happened. One of the disciples of John was a guy by the name of Polycarp. Polycarp um, was one of John, the apostle's main disciples. And they, they martyred him. They martyred him. They were, were going to burn him at the stake. They told him to deny Christ, even back then. You know why? Because he would not burn incense to Caesar. You know how many people would do that today? Well, if this was all I got to do, then I'll just go back and repent. This is the mindset in our country. This is American Christian mindset. I'll just do what I got to do, and then I'll, I'll repent of it. But he wouldn't defile himself. He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't bow the knee to Caesar. And they put him at the stake. They were going to burn him. They said, deny Christ. And he said, how can I deny him when he didn't deny me? All these years I've served him, he's never denied me once. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us, does he? He's never let you down. He's been with you through every valley, every storm. He's been right there for you. Every time you've called on him, he's come to you. We may not call on him as often as we should, but when we draw near, he draws near to us. Come on now. He's faithful. We're not. He's faithful. We're not. Now listen, and, and, and Polycarp, they ended up burning him, and guess what? He wouldn't burn, so they had to end up slitting his throat and cutting him and all kinds of stuff to get him to die. His body wouldn't burn. There's a lot of, a lot of times things like this happen with, with Christians whenever they're being martyred because God's grace is on them. God's grace is on them. There's a lot of times that you see uh, martyrs happen uh, just speaking in, in, uh, in, about martyrs. One of the best books that you can read about martyrs is Fox's Book of Martyrs. Fox's Book of Martyrs, he, he chronological details from the apostles all the way down to the Roman Inquisition. All the way down, he'll detail how, how people died, the circumstances of their martyrdom and their family. It's just powerful stuff, powerful stuff. One of, one of my favorite is uh, William Tyndale and John, and John Wycliffe. I'll read you these. Um, they were both around the Reformation time. William Tyndale is one of my favorites because he, he, he actually gave his life so that you could have the Bible. Honestly, he lived a life in hiding. They, they, the Catholic Church told him they were going to kill him. You keep trying to print the Bible and his mission, if you get one of the Tyndale Bibles, you'll see it in there. His mission was to, so that the plowboy would know more of the word of God than the Pope. That was his mission. His, in other words, his mission was to get the Bible in folks like our hands. Because just a few hundred years ago, it was not lawful for you to have the word of God. And so we just take it, we toss it, we don't think about it, we throw it on our, our couch, we leave it in the car, some of us leave it at church, we do this, we do that. And look, and you've got people just a few hundred years ago that gave their life, literally, they said goodbye to their children, they said goodbye to their wife, I'm not coming home, they're going to kill me, just so that we could have the word of God. That's how precious it was to them and how important they knew it would be. And little did they know what was going to happen, the Reformation, whenever they got that, whenever Martin Luther caught hold of that and God blew on that Reformation and we, everybody began to say, hey, the just shall live by faith. It is by faith that we're made righteous. 
It's not because some church says we are. It's not because we get dunked in water. It's not because somebody blesses our life or pays for us to get out of purgatory. We're saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And on that revelation, on that revelation, the church, the church blew up and blew out. But it cost people's lives. The church, the church was born in blood. And it'll leave in blood. Persecution. William Tyndale, so he gave his life for the sake of the gospel. Uh, John Wycliffe was another one. He translated the Bible into English. He was one of the early, early ones. John Wycliffe is amazing. He stood against the Pope. They killed him. They killed him as a martyr. You know what? They were so mad at him, they dug up his body and burned it after he died. They, gave, they martyred him twice. That's how mad they were because the Bible, they couldn't stop it. They couldn't contain it. It kept spreading out. They didn't want it to. And these, these reformers, these holy men of God that he used, like Wycliffe and Tyndale, uh, even people like Erasmus and all these mighty men of God, they gave their lives for the sake of us having the word of God. Amen? It's powerful stuff. And, and then you have people today like missionaries. You have missionaries today that are giving their life for the gospel. Um, you know that right now that Christians are the most persecuted people on the planet? Did you know that? You don't hear that on the news. But we are. Over 100,000 Christians are martyred a year. How many does that work out to per day? That's a lot. And that's what we know of because places like China and North Korea are dark. We only can guesstimate because of the testimony of people that escape those, the, the places where they're held in slavery. It's amazing. It's amazing. And yet people are willing to go there and give their life for the gospel. For the gospel. And yet all we can muster is a headache prayer so that nobody knows we're really praying while we're eating. It's amazing, amazing. These people lay down their lives for the gospel. Some of the uh, really good stories you can read, you can look this up later, the Moravian missionaries. How many of y'all ever heard of the Moravian missionaries? It's some of the best stories you can read. Some of these guys, in their early 20s, in their early 20s, listen, there was an island of slaves that didn't have the gospel. And these guys got saved filled with the Holy Ghost, they got so on fire for God. You know what they did? They decided to sell themselves to the slave owners and become slaves and so that they could go to that island and start a church in it and share the gospel. In their 20s, they said that these, these, these young men, they were, I think it was in England that they left, the, the boat left. They had sold themselves into slavery. And the boat was leaving with them on it, and all their family was on the shore just crying, knowing they would never see their sons again, knowing they would never see their brother again, knowing they would never see them again. And they left, and they said, the lamb is worthy. The lamb is worthy. You know how powerful that is? And that's what the Lord's talking about. That's a blessed life. God's hand is on their life. And there's so many stories that came. You can look those guys up, but there's so many powerful uh, testimonies that came out of those young men selling themselves into slavery. And yet here, all we can think about is, you know, 
who, who's going to be the mayor and who's going to do this and who's going to do that. And these people were willing to count their lives as nothing for the sake of Jesus' gospel. That is the opposite of your best life now. That is Christ's life now in me. Your best life now was let go of when you entered into the crucified life. And now it's about his life in us. And, and, and daily, listen, daily dying to self that Christ may have our bodies. Presenting ourselves a living sacrifice. Amen? Isn't that the will of God for our lives? Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Presenting ourselves a living sacrifice. That means every day that we live, we give ourselves for his cause. Every day that, Lord, there's another breath. Here I am, God. Who do you want me to love on today? Who do you want me to share the gospel with today? Who do you want me to witness to today? And, the, and God will use you in crazy places. God will use you at Walmart. God will use you at the grocery store. God will use you at the workplace. Might even use you at the oil changing place. Wherever you're at, God can use you. And you are where you are by design. Don't ever think that this life is just random molecules bouncing off stuff. God has a plan and a purpose. Every detail of your life has been forethought of by God. God knows the end from the beginning. Before he said, Lord, before he said, let there be light, he knew that you were going to be here right now. He knows everything. And every detail in the people that you come in contact in your life, you're there for a reason. And God made you the way you are for a reason because you can reach people that other people can't. You can communicate the gospel in ways that other people can't. You know, it's not about one person. It's about all of us being on the same team. This is what, this is what drove the Catholic Church crazy in the Inquisition because they wanted it to be a hierarchy. But God uses the nobodies. God confounds the wise. God uses the nobodies, not the somebodies. And, and if you're willing to be a nobody for the Lord, you're a candidate for him to use you wherever you are, your workplace, your home, your family, your neighbor, stores, wherever you're at. And even more than that, God may be calling you to go on mission trips. God may be calling you to, to teach Sunday school or preach. God may call you to start a church somewhere. Don't limit God. Whatever you do, don't limit God. Amen? Look, it, it, don't discount what God's doing. Don't discount what God's doing. Let me, let me take you to a few other places, and um, we'll continue in this. We'll go a little bit deeper. Go to John chapter number 16. John chapter number 16. You might think, well, this doesn't sound very fun. This don't sound very fun. Well, you know what? The, if this life was all that there is, it wouldn't be. If this life was all that there was, that wouldn't be much fun. But you see, this life is not the be-all, end-all for us. Just like we sang earlier, I'll fly away. One day, we're going to a home that was prepared for us. Jesus said, amen, didn't Jesus say in John 14, he was going to prepare a place for us? And he said, if I go away, I'm coming back for you. 
And we have a home for us. So this world is not our home. We're pilgrims in this earth. Whenever you start thinking other than that, you start messing up. This world is not our home. Don't mean you can't enjoy air conditioning while you're here. But you got to remember this world's not your home. I was sharing with somebody on Monday night prayer that uh, one uh, guy I, I was listening to, he was telling us that um, the Jewish people back in one era, um, I think it was a, a long time ago, but whenever they would build a home, they would only finish out three of the four walls. One of the walls they would leave unfinished. In other words, no sheetrock. Why? So they, they were reminding themselves this is not their permanent dwelling. Sometimes we need to do that. Sometimes we need to leave our house unfit. It don't have to be perfect. Your house don't have to be perfect. Sometimes it might even do as well to, to leave a little bit of it unfinished so that we'll remind ourselves it's not about this home. It's about the one that Jesus prepared for us. Amen. Amen. The one he prepared for us is the one we're, we're aiming for. But some people, you know, they live and breathe for their grass to be green or their walls to be painted or this or that, marble floors, whatever it may be. And one of the things that uh, I want to show you, though, is in, uh, let's look at verse number 32. John 16, verse number 32. Jesus said, Behold, the hour comes, yea, and now is, that you shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. Because Jesus was about to enter into this, the hour of his suffering. And before he did, he told the disciples, you're going to leave me. You're going to leave me. And now he's about to tell them, look, here's the good news. It's going to be like this for the rest of the time that you're here. Look at what it says in verse 33. These things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have not adoration, tribulation. Come on, somebody. It did not say in this world you'll have adoration. If, if in the world you have adoration, you've got a major problem. You should be having tribulation, not adoration. And look, the closer we get to the return of Christ, the more that dividing line is going to be apparent. Because people are going to be falling to the left and to the right. As you heard this past weekend, there's that falling away coming. Amen? That falling away coming. But Jesus said, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So that's where we put our faith. We're going to have tribulation but we're cheerful because Jesus already conquered this world. That gives us the opportunity to step into the next. Because he overcame this one, we have the opportunity, privilege, to enter into glory with him. And so we can endure the tribulation because it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. And here's the thing about every martyr. Every martyr, Jesus was precious to them. If Jesus is not precious to you, you won't be martyred for him. If your faith is casual, if your faith is casual, you won't be martyred for him. 
I remember witnessing to somebody, and you know, uh, he's just a young kid though, but I was witnessing to somebody, and and I was telling them about the end times, and you know, telling them about all that kind of stuff. And he said, "Ah, oh, you know what? It'll be okay if I miss the rapture. I'll just I, when I see the rapture, then I'll know I need to start living for Jesus." I said, "Look, man, if you can't live for Jesus now, you're not going to be able to do it then, because that." That narrow way is going to get extremely narrow right then because you're not going to be able to eat. You're not going to be able to buy or sell anything without taking the mark of the beast. And if you take the mark of the beast, you won't be going to heaven. Don't let somebody lie to you. That's what the Bible says. Amen. Amen. Let me show you something in, in Matthew chapter 11 real quick. Let me take you over here to Matthew 11. Matthew 11. So one of the things that we saw, maybe I'll just remind you, he said, blessed are you when men revile you, persecute you, and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Now, you know that the Lord's never going to ask you to do something that he didn't do? Like love your enemies? Do you not know that he loved you while you were an enemy to him? Amen. God's never going to ask you to do something that he didn't do. And one of the things that he says here is, you know, it's going to be blessed whenever people revile you, persecute you. And look, when they falsely accuse you, key, falsely. Do you know that the Lord Jesus was falsely accused? That's why he was crucified, wasn't it? They falsely accused him. Look what it says in Matthew 11. Look at verse number 19. He said, the son of man, now he's talking about how they said this, okay? They said, the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. Then began he to upbraid the cities. Look, what he's saying is they falsely accused him. They accused him of being, how many of y'all think that he was gluttonous? He said they accused him of being a wine-bibber and gluttonous. You know, that was a lie. It was a straight... And look, this, they were reviling him and falsely accusing him. And people will falsely accuse you too. They will... Do, look at Daniel. In Daniel's life, they, the, the people that didn't like Daniel, they were trying everything they could to remove him from power because he was a godly person. And they couldn't find anything wrong with him. So you know what they did? They made up a new law. To revile him, to persecute him, to falsely accuse him. They made up a new law. And look, it's gonna, it, those things happen to Christians too. The more you live for God, the more people will revile you and falsely accuse you. Look, I tell you what, I'm thankful that the Lord doesn't let me know everything that everybody says about me. How about you? <laughs> Amen. Because it would deflate your balloon real quick. But God's good, so he doesn't let you hear all that. And if it ever does come to your ears, God lets you hear it, so it'll grow you. It's like sandpaper. It'll rub you raw, but it'll help you grow. And sometimes, you know, we need that. But, but there's times you just got to know people are talking bad about you if you live for God. People are saying, who do you think you are? 
Just like, just like Joseph, whenever he was just bebopping along his way, going to check on his brothers, and they said, here he comes. Let's kill him. Then we'll see what happens to his dream. Then we'll see what his dreamer's doing. You know, people talk about you like that. And if they don't, you need to let the light of God shine through you again. Amen. This reviling, this persecuting, this false accusation, it is part and parcel with the package of becoming a Christian. If you're not willing to suffer for him, you've got a problem, a problem. Now, one of the things that I want to point out is that you're, the, the Lord said you should be falsely accused, not just accused. When people falsely accuse you, that's one thing, but when you are what they say you are, that's another. Ooh, ooh, that... That so-called Christian, they cheat on their taxes. They, you know, they do this and they do that. Come on now. Oh, I know people at that, that place, they, you know, they say all that, but look how they live. Look, don't, don't live one way. Don't let, your, don't let the walk of your life cancel out the things that your mouth speaks. Let me show you a couple of verses and we'll... we'll We'll try to wrap it up. Uh, first one, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This will kind of encapsulate what I'm talking about. Just make sure that it is a false accusation or in the manner of Daniel that it's, you know, just a, a weird law they made up. But as believers, we should be avoiding every evil thing. And if you, listen, if you're not avoiding every evil thing, there will be times when they accuse you, but it won't be falsely. Because if you allow evil in, you can know the difference between right and wrong for so long, but if you keep allowing it into your heart, it's going to get into your walk. This is why the Lord doesn't tell us what, he, what we're about to get into because he doesn't want us to have fun. He's telling us because he wants us to be holy, pure, undefiled, and have integrity in our walk. Look what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse number 21. Prove, that means to step on it and make sure that it's not going to move. Prove all things. Don't do anything unless you're sure of it unto God. Don't enter into an agreement with anybody. Don't go anywhere. Don't do anything until you prove it that it's true. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Well, does that mean I can't watch those shows? Yes, that's exactly what that means. It's not even not doing it, but abstaining from even appearing to do it. This means going above and beyond what you think. I remember uh, one of the guys that I knew in, in another city, we, um, he had a lot of rental property. And one of the things that he did is he would have to go and collect rent once a month. And he told me, he said, Kenny, I want you to come with me to collect rent. Why do you want me to go with you? Because a lot of my tenants are females. He's a married guy. And he said, I don't want anyone to see me even walk in a house, just me and them. 
So anytime he went and did anything like that, he asked me to go with him. You know what? Nobody asked him to do that. You can't find a scripture for that in the Bible, but what he was doing was abstaining from even the appearance of evil. He was going above and beyond to maintain the integrity of his walk. I know one of my great friends, they, uh, whenever they were courting or uh, engaged to get married with a girl, they wanted their first kiss to be on their wedding day. So me and my wife did too. Our first kiss was our wedding day. But they wanted their first kiss to be on their wedding day. You know what they did? Every date they went on, either I went on it with them or her friend went with them. They were never, listen, they were never alone till their wedding night. What, what are they doing? Is, where's the Bible verse for that? They were abstaining from even the appearance of evil. They weren't even um, arousing love before time, as it says in Song of Solomon. So where, what is that? That is going above and beyond the call of duty so that you even abstain from the appearance of evil. Nobody could look at your walk and say, yeah, look what they're doing. Nobody could do that when you're even abstaining from the appearance of evil. So this is one of those things that the Lord gets, that the Lord tells us. So when, when people accuse us, it will be false. That's why, because if you're a Christian, you're going to get accused. You're going to get talked about because you won't do what other people do. They're going to tear you down. Look, and if you don't think that's so, just wait till one time somebody asks you to go to a movie and you say, what movie? Don't just go, say, what movie? And when they tell you what movie, say, well, let me see what's all in it. If it's got something ungodly in it, just say, look, that's got stuff I can't watch. They're going to talk about you. Anytime you do anything like that. And so the Lord puts this in there not only to help us remain holy and pure, because, look, here's the thing. If, if, if the line, this is, I'll get on a different subject, but... This is, if the line, if the cliff is right here, why would you want to see how close you can get to it? Doesn't common sense even teach us to stay away from the line? You know? But yet here we have Christians say, I can do whatever I want to do. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's my boss. I don't serve the Pope. I live for myself. I know who I am. And here they go right off the cliff. Boom. When, when God has a better way, God has a better life for us, doesn't he? Isn't God a good shepherd? He said, I'm the shepherd, right? He's the good shepherd. And he leads us by what? Still waters. But are you following? See, the still waters in the following is voice. Jesus said in John chapter 10, my sheep, what? They know my voice. They hear me. They know my voice. That means they follow what he says. Oh, Lord, I, I remember you said we should even abstain from the appearance of evil. So I shouldn't even go over there because I don't even want somebody to even think that I'm doing that. Right? That's what that is. That's, that's walking that out. But what are, what are you doing in that? You are, removing, you are removing that thing of accusation and making it only be false accusation, just like we're told. Okay? So anytime somebody says something about you, it should be false as far as that goes, right? Let's go to one more, First, First Peter chapter number 4. 1 Peter chapter number 4. And th this verse is along the same lines. It's going to be in the same, same vein. 
1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 12. We're going to look at a trial. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. So see, if you live for God and things start rocking the boat, don't think it's weird. Again, don't take it personal. People, it's not you, it's the God in you if you're letting God shine through you. It says, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Now listen to this. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. That's the same as the word blessed, okay? Happy are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. So whenever somebody persecutes you, whenever somebody reproaches you, count it, count it glory. Count it glory. Because if you suffer... If you suffer for him, if you suffer for him, the spirit of glory is on you. The spirit of glory is on you if you're willing to suffer for him. Now look at the next verse, though. It says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. That's, and what he's saying there is, if somebody's going to persecute you and accuse you of stuff, make sure it's false accusation. Look, if you're a thief and they catch you and they call you a thief, don't be, they're persecuting me because I'm a Christian. No, no. He said, let it be a false accusation. Don't let, don't let it be because you're a murderer or a thief or, look, even a busybody. You know what that is? Did you see what sister so-and-so did? She told me she was going to that doctor. I know why she went to that doctor. Da, 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 da. Don't be a busybody, right? Because you're opening yourself up, right, into places you don't need to be, going in, into things you don't need to be going into. So, because um, how many of y'all know we, we got enough issues in us? We don't need to be worried about sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so, Right? Aren't we supposed to take the log out of our own eye <laughs> on that regard, on that regard? So, and I'm not saying if somebody's in sin, you don't deal with it. Don't take it wrong. But don't suffer as an evildoer, right? Now, let's think about the church. Now, I told you a few uh, martyrs, and we'll close with this, but let's think about the church. Now, if, if persecution is a blessing... If persecution is a blessing, you should see examples of it in the Bible. So I told you about Joseph. He was persecuted for righteousness sake, right? Wasn't Noah? Wasn't Noah? Yeah. What about Elijah? He was persecuted. Did, didn't Jezebel try to hunt him down? Right? What about Jeremiah? Right? Jeremiah was persecuted. What about John the Baptist? What happened to him? Did he live a long life in a palace? No, he lost his head because 
King Herod had his brother's wife, and he told him to unscramble the eggs. What do you mean by that? John the Baptist told him to separate. And he lost his head for it, for righteousness' sake. What about Jesus? Was he persecuted? Yes. What about the first church? What about Stephen? Stephen was the first martyr of the church, wasn't he? Stephen, and at the feet of Paul. At the feet of Paul. Y'all remember who was next? Acts chapter 12. James. Remember? James and John, the brothers, the apostles. Next one is James. Martyred right there in Acts chapter 12. So look, and we know Paul was martyred. Peter was martyred. Timothy. All of them. All of them. And yet, we think we're supposed to live at Cushy. When the church began in persecution. That's the hallmark. That's the hallmark of God's people. Is because the darkness doesn't like the light. And if we're not being persecuted, we are hiding the light. Now, I know we live in America, so it's not as bad. I know we live in America, so it's not as bad, but you should be letting your light shine so that other people know it. Because as you do, people will talk about you. People will get stirred up around you. And if you are allowing the light of God to shine through you, if, if that anointing is on your life, it will rub people the wrong way. If you have anointing, there's going to be a target on your back, but there's going to be a God behind your back. You hear me? A target on your back, but you're going to have all of God behind your back. And God will be for you. Amen. And isn't it, isn't it awesome that, um, that God is for us in that way? Isn't that awesome? Uh, we're going to go ahead and, and close right there. If you will, just turn back to Matthew 5, and I'll read that last verse, verse number 12, as we close. Matthew 5, verse number 12, in closing. The Lord said, rejoice. Come on. Now, who rejoices when they're getting picked on? Rejoice. And be exceeding glad. Come on. We, we get excited when the churches are full. He said you need to be getting excited when they're picking on you. Amen. We worship on the good days. He's telling you to worship on the bad days. Let your worship be warfare. Let your worship be warfare. Smile. Smile when the enemy's picking on you. Because it's not personal. It's not about you. It's about the light in you. It's about the God in you. It's about the anointing on you. Come on now. Let your worship be warfare. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward. Not here. Not here. In heaven. Great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Look, all of the church, all of the church has faced it. All the church has faced it. So we got to too. 
Amen. God has called us to that because it's not about us. It's about the God in us. Amen. 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 Father, we thank you for this opportunity to hear your word.